hey guys, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to encourage you guys, God made our life to live it. And he made our world with a lot of good things. Is our world sinful? Yes. Is it messed up? Absolutely. But does it still have the remnants of the goodness of God? Absolutely. Whether that is in friends or family or, or food or, or sports or those things, the Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. And so it's really cool. When you can have a pure heart, you can really enjoy mostly anything. And so if you aren't living your life, it's time to start living it, enjoying the life God gave you, okay? Don't think, for whatever reason, over the last like however many years, sometimes people's view on Christianity is that, oh, it's just, you know, you gotta be very serious and solemn. And the more serious and solemn you are, the more holy you are. That ain't true at all. Uh, you, I believe that you can be holy eating a chicken wing, watching football today. Uh, and so just, just enjoy the life God gave you. Walk in the joy of the Lord, right? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Okay, so the joy of the Lord is our what? All right, I'm going to test you in the future, and we'll see if you remember that. We're looking at a message entitled, Hope That Lives. Hope That Lives. Uh, we are getting into the meat. Man, I just—I guess I'm hungry or something. Super Bowl, right? The meat of the message and uh, really of this first chapter kicking off. If you guys were with us last week, we started a new series in the, in the book of First Peter. This was a letter that he wrote to who he calls strangers or pilgrims. And remember, they aren't just strangers because they're misplaced from their land because of persecution, but because of the perspective in which they live, that they live in this world with a perspective that this is not where they are from and that they have an eternal home. And so he's writing to them, encouraging them, and we get to, in a sense, have this, uh, this benefit of what he wrote them 2,000 years, 2000 years later because God saw fit to make this letter part of of scripture. And so as mentioned last week, Peter gets going and not only gives us, right, the audience and the author, he, he introduces himself. He says, hey, this is Peter, apostle. And then he says, you know, hey, I'm writing to you who are the pilgrims. But then he gets going with who they are in Jesus, right? He says there in verse two, and we looked at this last week, elect according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the spirit. And he kind of touches this... Uh, topic of salvation. I mentioned to you last week that he's going to continue on that same topic from verse 2 all the way down to verse 12. And that's why our topic today is going to be in verses 3 through 12, because it's all about the same thing. And that same thing is our salvation. You know, this is what he is writing to them about. This is why he can. He's not writing to them because they have the same sports team in common, He's not writing to them because they have the same hobbies. No, they have the same Jesus and they have the same salvation. And so we're going to see that he's going to write how this, is, this salvation is something that you and I can greatly rejoice in, even in the midst of the most difficult things that we go through in life. Why? Because we know how the story ends. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll start in verse 3. It's a pretty good-sized chunk. We're going to read down to verse 12. And we stand for a handful of reasons. I think, I think it kind of gives us a little bit of a help with focus as we stand. I think uh, the, the bigger part, though, is the fact that we are giving respect to God. 
right? As if, as if there was, you know, someone who came into the room who was of high status, we, we would stand to greet them. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a wedding, right? But there's that moment in the wedding where they say, you know, all rise for who? The bride. Why? Because she's the, in a sense, star of the show. And you see, Jesus is the star of the show and, and God's speaking to us in this moment. So uh, don't dismiss this time. Really track along with us. I'm going to read it out loud to you. But I want to encourage you, read along, whether you got to use your finger or whatever it is, but read along with me because this will set the tone for everything that we talk about. Everything I tell you today is drawn from this passage, okay? So look at your Bibles with me, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Almost there, verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you'd bless the going forth of your word, that we would receive all that you would have for us this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, before we get into verse 3 and, and kind of go through it as, our, uh, as, as what we do here on Sundays, I want, you to, I want to point you to the end of our passage that we just read. Look at the end, uh, verses 10, 11, and 12. Verse 10, and you might, by, you might be, well, why are we starting with the end? Because it's going to set the tone. It's going to give us the proper perspective as we look at uh, verses 3 through 9. But verse 10, he says, of this salvation. What salvation are we talking about? Well, it's the salvation that he is going to be talking about in verses 2 through 9, this salvation in Jesus. And in verses 10, 11, and 12, he says, of this salvation, the prophets looked forward to. We're told here, look at verse 10, that they inquired and searched carefully, meaning this is talking about before it happened in the Old Testament. And we know that to be true, that the prophets looked forward to this salvation in Jesus. So much so they told about it, but not because they knew, 
but because God knew and told them. And they simply wrote down what God had shared with them. You see, the Old Testament prophets who heard from God, God had told them, hey, there's a Savior coming. There's a Messiah coming into the world that's going to bring that final light to the Gentile world, and he is going to be the Savior. Uh, Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, the prophets were given hints and clues, if you will, and they wrote them down. They knew that the Christ would suffer, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. But they also knew that there would be this glory that would follow, that from his suffering would come our healing. And so they didn't have all the pieces, but they had some. And so history really tells us, Peter tells us, that they looked forward to these things. But then at the same time, look at the end of verse 12, the very last part of our passage today, that this salvation are things which angels desired to look into. So now we have two perspectives given. There's the prophets who looked forward. There's the angels who looked down. They, they, they were, this was something that they saw that God was going to do. They were there, right, when Jesus was born. They were there. They saw everything take place. And this was something that they couldn't believe themselves, and they desired to, the Bible says, look into. So we have the prophets looking forward, the angels looking down. And who do you think is looking back? Who who looks back at the salvation that Jesus provided? That's us. We look back. Them, whether it was those who Peter is writing to or whether it's us today, right? We look back just about 2,000 years uh, to this salvation in Jesus. But there were times when it was the prophets who looked forward. You see, what I think is being established here is the fact that this is a big deal. Salvation in Jesus is, in fact, the biggest deal. Jesus coming, living, dying, rising, and ascending is the pinnacle of all history. So much so that before Jesus, they looked forward to him. After Jesus, we look back to him. And even the angels from above, from eternity without time, looks down. You know, even the way that we have our calendar, even non-believers who would reject Jesus when they use the year 2023, there is a self-confession that Jesus came 2,023 years ago. You see, this really is the pinnacle of history. And so uh, I think it's important that we have this understanding. Now, as we go back to verse 3, and we find what this salvation entails, we find as Christians what we have in Jesus, what we have in this salvation. And if you notice, verse 3 Peter starts off by saying that God is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father. This is the idea that God is worthy of our attention and our praise. He's worthy of our worship. Why? Why is he worthy? Well, because of what he has done for us. Notice verse 3 in your Bibles. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, what did he do? has begotten us again. Now that's a word we don't really use. And it's a word that we don't necessarily hear. But that word begotten, hmm, that he has begotten us again. What verse comes to mind when you think about verse three and the word begotten? Yeah, yeah, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Begotten son. Now what was the idea? Now, for Jesus, it's a little bit more unique than what's being talked about here. He set the tone. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the first fruit, meaning he is begotten of God. Now we know that he didn't come only from God, but he is in fact God. But you see, what Jesus did, we get to be a part of. And so much so that now God causes us to be begotten. The idea is to be born again. The NASB version of the Bible, I like how it puts it. It's a little bit more clear because that word begotten just sounds weird. But NASB translates this, the fact that he has caused us to be born again, which again should then cause us to go back in our thinking to John chapter three. Why? Well, we all know John three sixteen, but you know who he's talking to, right? Does anyone know who, he's who Jesus is talking to in John chapter three? Yeah, Nicodemus, right? That was that ruler of the Jews that came to him by night. He is the one who Jesus even says 3.16 to. But before that, he talks about the fact that only one who is born again will enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was all confused about this. And he said, how am I, do I go like find my mom again? Like, how, do I, how am I born again? He was very confused and Jesus assures him that this was talking about a, he's talking about a spiritual rebirth, a new life, but in a spiritual way. Paul describes it as those who are in Christ are a new creation. The idea of beginning, uh, uh, of being begotten again or born again is new life. And Peter here clearly tells that this, is, that this was a work of God in someone's life. Listen, you cannot cause yourself to be born again. You can come to Jesus, but it's his work in you. Later in this chapter, we'll get to it in, in a few weeks from now, 1 Peter chapter 1, but verse 23, Peter makes reference to this again when he says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through, what is it through? The word of God, which lives and abides forever. You see, being born again is God's work in you. He causes your dead life and causes new birth. That's what it means to be born again. And it's only as you come to Jesus, but it is his work. But what's the result of this work of mercy that he does in your life? Well, this is thick stuff, right? So walk with me, still in verse three. He says, he has begotten us again to something. And that to something is to a living hope or to a hope that lives. You see, the Bible says that what you and I have in Jesus is a living hope. What's the opposite of a living hope? A dead hope. And that's what the world offers. The world offers nothing but dead end hope. Oh, I, I, if I'm just a really good person, I hope it works out. Dead hope. Well, if I just kind of pursue having a good life, it'll all work out. Dead hope. Well, I'll go through this religion or to this God, dead hope. There's only one living hope, and that's in Jesus. Why? Well, look at the verse. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because we have a living Lord. You see, our hope, who is represented in the person of Jesus, did he stay in the grave? Did he stay in the grave? He rose again. And where is he today? Is he, is he dead or off doing something? No, he is in heaven. And his focus is you. His focus is me. The Bible says that Jesus is in heaven as your risen Lord. 
And he is there as your intercessor, meaning he prays for you. I would love to know all the details of that. Can't wait to get there and find out. We get some hints in the Bible. But he's also our advocate, meaning he stands in the gap so that when we get to heaven one day, Jesus is gonna say, that one is mine. That one is covered by my blood. And you see, apart from Jesus, the only hope that there is is a dead hope that leads to disappointment, okay? Every other hope leads in disappointment, but there's one hope that leads to fulfillment. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, that this hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our own hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, we're doubly covered. We got Jesus in heaven and Holy Spirit in us. God says you're covered. God says what I've told you will not come to a disappointment. Why? Because, listen, our hope is not in something. Our hope is in someone. And not just any someone, but the someone that the Bible describes as the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And so I want you to understand today that what you have in Jesus is a living hope because he lives to make it sure, to make it certain. Now look in your Bibles and look to verse four. He, co- he goes on. It seems like Peter's just excited. And so he's going on this rant of salvation. Verse four, he says, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, where does it lead us? Well, it leads us to have an inheritance, an inheritance. You guys know what an inheritance is? So an inheritance is, is something that you receive that someone else did, right? And typically, especially if you're probably your age, maybe some of you have an inheritance that you don't even know about. Maybe Grandpa Joe, who passed away, he left you an inheritance. You don't know about it because if you had it, you'd probably spend it all on candy at the snack bar or something like that. And so why? It's reserved for you until you're 18 or 25. And there's this reality where an inheritance is something that you have, It's yours. You just have not come to the complete fulfillment of that. And so for us now, our salvation is something, we have a present experience of it, but there's also a future expectation. And this inheritance that we have is directly connected with our living hope. And we have something to look forward to. And this inheritance is something that is lasting. And so because we have a living hope, due to our living Lord, it means that we have a lasting hope. Because we have a living hope, it means we have a lasting hope. And this is what he goes on to describe here in verse four. I wanna point to your attention, Peter giving four features regarding this inheritance, this salvation we have. And you're gonna notice here in verse four, as he begins to describe this type of inheritance, And it seems like Peter has to use so many words because it's rich, it's deep. Though the gospel is simple, the results of the gospel is incredible and vast. And so Peter, in this description, he's going to give us four features of what it isn't, which is kind of a funny way to describe something. He's going to give us four things it's not, which will then in turn help us understand what it is. You know, some people do this in marketing and uh, advertisement. Sometimes when they market an item, uh, they'll actually tell you what it doesn't do. They'll say things like, it won't wear out. 
it won't stretch, it won't fade, or it'll last a lifetime. Now, of course, oftentimes what they advertise is never reality. Am I right? But for this, what Peter's about to not advertise, but tell you what you have in Jesus, oh, is it lasting? So note it down. The first thing he says is that we have an inheritance that's incorruptible. This word incorruptible is the word imperishable, or it's the ability to last forever. Don't think that there's an expiration date on your inheritance in Jesus. Your salvation will never end. It's a non-perishable. You know, we've all experienced uh, food that goes bad quicker than you expect. You guys ever experienced that? You buy something, you're all excited about, oh, these are my favorite chips. And then like little sister leaves the bag just a little bit open overnight. And then the next day they're just stale and done. It's, oh, it's so sad. One day when you guys are buying groceries, you're gonna be shocked at how quick produce goes bad in your fridge. You're like, it's in the fridge. Isn't that what it's supposed to do? Yet everything in our life goes bad, whether it's food or <laughs> anything else, nothing lasts. But there is one thing that is incorruptible. And that's your salvation in Jesus. Secondly, it's undefiled, meaning it's pure and free of spot. It's untainted. The concept of undefiled is that it cannot be touched. Just as there's no corruption, there's also no defilement. It can't be touched or taken away by anyone, including you. It's reserved. It's undefiled. And then thirdly, it's also unfading. We're told that this inheritance, verse four, does not fade away. I particularly like this one. It doesn't lose quality or beauty. The word, uh, the idea of not fading is that it does not decay. Now, I like this one because I hate when things fade. I really do. You know, you buy that new shirt and you're like, oh, this shirt was like designed for me. This shirt is just like, this is my favorite shirt. And then mom leaves it in the dryer just a bit too long. And all of a sudden, your black shirt is now looking gray. And it's so, so sad. Now, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't bug you. Maybe you're the one that buys pre-faded clothes. You know, they sell those now, but that's a, another topic. But it's unfading. You see, this is something that will not lose its, its quality or beauty or benefit. And then fourthly, it's reserved. It's reserved Verse four says that it, this inheritance is reserved in heaven. And notice for you, it's personal, guarded and watched over by God. You see, you and I have a reservation in heaven. Jesus put our name in the book and Jesus will make sure that when we get there, we have a table with our name on it and he'll make sure no one else takes it. You guys ever make a reservation at a restaurant? Maybe you haven't or maybe your parents have. You know, the reservation world is a funny world. You know, you make a reservation, hey, you know, 6.30. Okay, yeah, we'll have, we'll have a table ready for you then. Okay, sweet. And then you get there and it's 6.30 and you say, hey, you know, name, name is this. And they say, okay, uh, wait about 10 minutes and we'll have that table for you. What? I, I put my name in. No, no, you reserved. We had the table reserved for 6.30. Now I know they have their like reasons and don't know how long people, people take. But you see, that's not what heaven's gonna be like. It's not like you die and then, and then, I don't know why we always think like an angel or like Peter's gonna meet us. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be Jesus who meets us. But it's not like an angel says, oh, you're a little early. Hey, give us about 10 days. Just stay in this little thing and then we'll get you in. No, it is reserved for you. God says, I will see to it. 
You see, our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, and reserved in heaven for us. Peter emphasizes in the strongest possible terms the security and certainty of this hope and inheritance. And then he says, until then, you who are kept by the power of God, verse 5, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, God not only says, I have this for you, but he says, I'm going to see you through. He says, your faith in me will enable my power to keep you all the way to the end. It means to be shielded or guarded by God. God says, it's not only what you have in heaven, but all along the way, my keeping power in your life will meet you all the way to the end. And so this is what we have in Jesus, a living hope and an incredible inheritance. Now with all this though, it doesn't mean that life will go without its difficulties. It doesn't mean it's all going to be peachy. It's going to be difficult at times. Even Jesus said, he said, hey, in me, he said, you have peace. There's going to be an, a calmness in, in your soul that you can find in me. But he said in the world, which that's where we live. We're not of the world, but we live in the world. We're strangers, not yet home. But he said, for now, he said, you will you're going to experience some tribulations. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some difficulties your way. But he said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the what? The world. Now, I don't know all of you super well. I don't know what all of you might be going through today. But maybe you walked in here and there's some things in life that are difficult. Maybe there's some personal struggles and difficulties and trials that maybe you have that question of why is God allowing this? What, what's going on? Where is he? I thought, I'm a, I thought I'm his. I thought I'm his adopted son or daughter. Or maybe there's something happening at home with mom or dad. Or maybe there's something happening at school with friends. Or maybe it's something that I have not mentioned. Verse 6 and 7 give us some really good direction with what we go through. With what we go through in light of what we have. Verse six, I'll read it again. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse six, he says, in this, you greatly rejoice. What's the this? The this is what we just talked about. Verses three through five, that living hope, that uh, incredible inheritance. He says, man, we have reason to joy, right? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our, man, you guys failed again. Remember, remember before service? The joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. And so the Christian life is weird where God says at the same time that you can have this incredible joy in your salvation and at the same time experience grief on this side of eternity. But it is this living hope that produces a present joy in the midst of life's difficulties. And this is real. If you're a Christian and you lack joy, it is, it is accessible to you. 
and it is only found in Jesus. And sometimes that joy just will come to you with a perspective shift. And hopefully that perspective can shift today. And so though there's joy, it doesn't mean that life's without its troubles. Notice he says, you have been grieved by various trials, various trials. This is, again, the idea of variety is that there's a lot of different things. We're not all going through the same thing. And we won't all go through the same thing. Maybe you're like, no, life is good. Like no difficulties, no trials. Then you got one on the horizon. It doesn't mean that, that you have to be fearful. It just means, hey, life, life is, is crazy. Life hits. There's storms, there's, there's hardships, and it's going to hit you to some extent. Um, and we're going to experience it. Yet, Peter desires that his readers would look at these trials they go through. For them, there was a lot of persecution involved. Through the lens of the promises of God. And he uses these two phrases, and I want you to note them down. And if you have your own Bible, I want you to underline them. Okay, I want you to underline them. And they're the two phrases that are right next to each other. One is three words and one is four words. If need be. If need be. And for a little while. Those two phrases are small but encouraging. Small but powerful. This tells us, these two phrases, what does this tell us about the things we go through? It tells us that there is both a point and an ending to the trials we have, meaning that they have a purpose and that they are only for a limited time. They are only for a limited time. The idea of need is that God says, hey, there's going to be seasons where you actually need to go through those. You're like, why would I ever need to go through something hard? We'll find out in a moment. But it also, we can always know, listen, let's say you come in here today and you're like, man, I'm going through something hard. God says, you can know that it's only for a little while. You're like, but it's been happening for years. In light of eternity, it's only a little while. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, for our light affliction, I know it says two, but it's chapter four. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I don't think Paul's just looking down. He says, oh, little light affliction. No, Paul would talk about himself in this way. And Paul went through some gnarly stuff. You know, Paul was literally stoned to death. Some people think he died and then came back to life. The guy was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was all kinds of stuff. Uh, he experienced starvation. Yet he would call what he went through as a light affliction. Why? Because it's but for a moment. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, it's all about perspective. It's not to say that what you're going through isn't hard and doesn't feel long, but that's where we look to what God is doing in our life and what he will do. Because listen, one day we're going to be in heaven one day we'll look back on our lives on earth and regardless of how long or how difficult, whatever we went through will seem light and it will seem short. You know, time is something that is absolute. You know that, right? Meaning it is 1138 right now here in Chino, California, USA, world. 
Okay, it is 11:30. That's that's you can't debate that unless you're crazy. But a long time, that is something relative. Meaning some of you are like, Pastor Joel has been already speaking for a long time. And I know we're not done yet. But some of you others who are receiving from God's word, you're like, keep going. You see, as a five-year-old, if you tell a five-year-old, hey, let's wait till a year from now to do that. What's going to be the response? A year? Oh my. Why does a year feel so long to a five-year-old? Why? Because they've only been alive for five years. So it's one-fifth of their entire life. But if you tell a 50-year-old, hey, we're going to have to do that next year, they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's like next week. Why? Because they've been living for so long. That's why as you get older, time will feel like it's going faster. You know, as a little kid, you can even think back to those summers that felt like literally 60 years, and it was only two months. And it just felt like, man, the summer days, you're like, how is there more hours in a day in the summer? Why? Because, listen, it's all about perspective. And when you and I have the right perspective on what we go through, you're like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. It's not that long. It's not that it's not hard. It doesn't change, but it's about perspective. And so if that would be the time frame, then what would be the if need be? Why would we need this? Well, for the genuineness of your faith. God says that he allows these things in our life for the genuineness to come out. What is genuineness? It's real. It's what is real, not counterfeit or fake. You know, so much in our day and age is fake, right? And sometimes it's hard to discern what's real, what's not. Whether that's news even or what's happening in the world. Whether that's, you know, when, when you're trying to buy. Have you guys ever used OfferUp? You know, if you buy something on OfferUp and it, it looks fine, it looks good, and then you take it home and it don't work at all. And it's like, oh man, like it's fake. It doesn't, doesn't work right. You see, many people might be going around with the false faith and not even know it. And so God allows the heat to be turned up. Sometimes he's the one turning the dial. Sometimes it's just the things of life that turn the dial. But nonetheless, the, the heat cranks up and it begins to show, was your faith real at all? You see, maybe some of you have made a confession of faith when you were younger. You said you, you raised your hand, you went up to the, the altar, you went down for the harvest crusade, your mom led you to Jesus, whatever. How do you know if that was real? You will know because of the decisions that you make now. You will know that when walking with Jesus gets difficult and, and trials come, do you, are you going through them or do you give up? So it's kind of like the parable of the sower that Jesus talked about, that the seeds went out. And some, man, it appeared looking good, like, okay, all right. And then the sun came up, things got hot. And for one of the seeds, it showed its true colors. It never had roots, right? It never had depth. And so listen, the hard things of life will show you where you're really at with Jesus, being much more precious than gold that perishes. Peter here mentions gold, right? And gold is something that has to be tested for its purity, and one of the reasons that has to be tested is because it could be fake. Anyone know what fake gold is called? Yeah, fool's gold or pyrite. Man, it looks, it looks good, but that's, let's, get some, uh, let's get some heat to it. And it'll show you real quick what it's made of. In a similar way, the heat of life, the fire of trials will test us. It'll evaluate and examine and prove where your faith really lies. 
You know, it's been said before that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Not that we're to trust our faith, but sometimes you wonder, man, like, is this real? Is my confession that I made as a, as a child, is that, is that real now? You'll definitely know when the trials of life come and the tests come. And so we allow God um, to do these things in our life and we trust him through it. Why? Because that, that, that gold or that, uh, that heat is not only going to show us what's real or not, but like gold, when you heat it up, it's going to have all the impurities come to the top. And God's going to be able to then wipe that out of our life. Because notice the purpose that it may be found that this faith, the end of verse 7, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word found is to be discovered. You see, God's doing a work in your life through the difficult things. Because at the end of it, he wants to present you, the Bible says, faultless before the very throne of God, that your life may give honor and glory and praise to him. And so listen, the trial will soon be over, but the glory, honor, and praise will last an eternity. And so with this perspective of, of, of trials, let's end our time in verses 8 through 9 with who we look to. We started with what we have in Jesus we moved on to what we go through even with Jesus. But ultimately, this is who we look to in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties, in just our life. And of course, that someone is Jesus. Look at verse 8 and 9. Whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith, the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what gets us through these difficult times? How do we endure through the trials that life throws at us? It is all about who we look to. The only way that you're gonna get that perspective of eternity and that perspective of, of whether time is as you look and fix your attention on him. But the thing about looking to Jesus is you can't see him. And this is what it says. Look at verse 8 and 9. Verse 8, right here, says you don't see him, but you love him. You don't see him, but you believe in him. And this is, this is wild. We've never seen, think about it. We are gathered here. There are thousands of people that will come in and out of this campus today. Campus-wide. Children's, youth, main sanctuary. And we're all here to worship and talk about someone we've never even seen. It's no wonder the world looks at us as strange. But for the believers who know Jesus, you're like, oh, I've never seen him with my eyes, but I, I know him. I know him so much that I can actually say I love him. That for us as Christians, you know where to love someone we've never seen more than even those that we can see. And so he says, he says, whom having not seen you love, whom having never seen you believe. Have you guys ever read the story about Thomas in the Bible? John chapter 20, Thomas was one of the 12. And does anyone know what title Thomas has gotten? Yeah, 
Doubting Thomas. Man, what a bummer. Imagine being put down in history as your name is known as doubting whatever. Um, and it ends well for him. I think he gets a kind of a bad rap, but it's, it's understandable. He comes to the right conclusion. Just took a little bit longer. Right, but Jesus raises from the dead. He goes into the upper room. He appears before the disciples. He says, peace to you. And there's one disciple not there, Thomas. I don't know if he was out getting a shawarma or falafel or something, but he was gone. And then, and then Jesus is with them, encouraging them. Jesus leaves. Thomas gets back, and they're like, Thomas, you would never believe what would happen. Now, he wouldn't believe in that moment. And uh, he said, Jesus was here. And he says, no, Jesus, we saw him die. He's dead, gone. And he says, he makes a statement, well, unless I put my fingers in his wounds, I won't believe. And so just a little bit later, Jesus shows up again. Remember, Jesus still has some scars from what he went through. Even to this day, Jesus is in heaven with holes in his wrists, his feet, and even a hole in his side, the Bible says. And so Jesus being gracious, he says, Thomas, he says, come here. He said, he said, put your hands here. He, Thomas, he wasn't even there when Thomas had said that, but was he there? He was. So Thomas, right, touches Jesus, and I don't know what that was like, right? He's like, I don't know. But nonetheless, there's this statement that Jesus says, and he says, Thomas, because you have seen me, he says, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus was speaking about you and me. There's a blessing for us who believe in him, yet we don't see him. And a result of this believing and loving him who you have not seen, I think part of that blessing is what he says there at the end of verse 8. He says, you rejoice. We haven't seen him, but we love and believe. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That there is a joy for the Christian walking with Jesus that cannot be put into words. There is no song that does justice. There is no prayer that does justice to what we experience in Jesus because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this joy, there's no words, inexpressible, but it's also full of glory, meaning it's wonderful and exceptional. And this is accessible to you in heaven there is going to be a future joy and future glory, but we don't have to wait to get there. Your inheritance is reserved, but you don't have to wait to experience the benefits of following Jesus. Charles Spurgeon used to say, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. You see, I don't think that eternal life starts when we die. It starts when we begin believing and loving in whom we have never seen, when you're born again. That's why in John 17, 3, Jesus would say, and this is eternal life, not heaven. He doesn't talk about heaven here. He says, this is eternal life, meaning eternal life equals what? That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You can begin to experience eternal life now as you grow closer to Jesus through his word and through prayer and through the connection of the Holy Spirit. But thank God that there's going to come an end to all of this. You won't have to go your whole life without seeing him. And when I say whole life, I don't just mean your life here. 
Because why? There's going to be an end. Look at verse 9. We're close here. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This living hope will come to an end. Meaning we're not going to have to hope anymore when we're in heaven. We're not going to have to hope. Why? Because our hope will be fulfilled. Not disappointed, but fulfilled. We won't have to have faith anymore. Why? Because we will see him. The one who we lived not seeing, but loving and believing, we will see him face to face. In fact, this love that he has for us and we have for him, it is the only thing that will make it into eternity. This is why in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he talks about faith, hope, and love, but he says the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope, they're pretty good. Why is love better? Because faith and hope end. And they end at the salvation of our souls, meaning when, when we die here or Jesus comes back. But the thing that will never end is the love that we have for God and the love that God has for us. And so we've always heard that we're to walk by faith and not by sight, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. I can't wait for the day that we get to walk by sight and not by faith. It's coming. And so for now, we keep our eyes on the prize, who is Jesus. We put our faith and hope in the living hope because it is sure and it is certain. Amen? Lord, we, uh, we come before you and we just are so grateful for this living hope we have in Jesus. We're so excited for the day we get to see you. But for now, God, would you strengthen us? Would you, God, we don't, we don't necessarily want to ask for trials, but God, would you use the things of life to strengthen our faith that we might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus, that when you come back, we're not ashamed, that when we get to heaven or the rapture happens in a moment's time, that we want to say, no, wait, that there'd be a freedom in our life and just a looking forward to that future expectation of being with you. And so God, for now, as we do go through things, whether it's outside persecutions or inward struggles, God, we ask that you would grant us the perspective of eternity, that we would see the purpose and we would have a perspective on the timing only for a little while. And so God, I pray for anyone in here that maybe is right now going through a variety of a trial, tribulation, difficulty. And God, I pray that they would walk out of this place full of that hope that lives. God, for, for those that maybe are Huh. don't even know what's around the corner, but there's something coming in their life. Satan would love to sift them as wheat or get them down, destroy them, silence them. God, I pray that you would strengthen them beforehand, that as they go into that, that they would remember your word. They'd remember what we have in Jesus. They'd remember what we have to look forward to, and it would fuel their faith. God, I pray that you would make your relationship with them so real. Those students in here who maybe have made a previous confession would make a current commitment 
to follow you no matter what comes. And so we look to you now for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.